Welcome to the 21st Century Schizoid Podcast. I'm your host, a schizoid motherfucker named Cooper Cherry. Today we've got uh, Scott Williams making a return to the podcast. So (laughs) kind of a milestone. You're the first repeat guest ever. Uh, Yeah. We're doing another milestone today because we actually have, uh, we got two guys. We got two guys on. We got uh, Sky Gilbert as well, joining Scott. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some some of the goings on in maybe Charlottesville. We might get into a little bit of cryptocurrency. I don't know. We're just going to get fucking schizoid. So strap in. It's going to, we're going <laughs> to, it's going to be a bumpy ride, man, but we're going to have some fun, I think. So th- thanks for coming on, guys. The last time Scott was on, we were talking about, uh, talking about fucking head wounds and I guess the uh, the development of capital in <laughs> in uh, rural Thailand and seeing you know kind of the effects that has so yeah, capitalism from a from a small developing village with some western influence about to totally be uh, be uprooted and turned into a tourist spot on a map well they want to see what development is that's it all <laughs> right um, but something that's been on my mind the last week or so is really the, what went down in Charlottesville a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I don't know if you guys have seen this yet, but I would definitely recommend at your earliest opportunity, check out the Vice News episode where they went to Charlottesville and checked out what happened because that shit was crazy. I mean, I had fall. you know, I'm a pretty you know, ingrained or, you know, do a lot of social media stuff, right? So Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, and having read the information that was coming out and, you know, I've kind of, you know, I don't really watch cable news that much, but, you know, as far as social media, I pay a lot of attention to that. And it was just crazy. Once I saw the video, like that was a totally different experience. Like it was pretty visceral. I was, I was fucking terrified by not only the development of like these nationalist white nationalist groups, but the whole thing is just a powder keg. It's crazy. Mm. Yeah, there's certainly some racially charged tensions on both sides. I think um, it's it's just kind of hard that it that it's so public. You know, you think a lot of kind of a lot of times you think racism kind of hides in the corners or you know behind closed doors. People get a little bit you know more brazen. Uh, so to kind of have all this stuff just way out in the public eye, I think really, really kind of makes you think about it, makes you focus on it when you see it, uh, up close and personal. Um, what's, it's kind of what I'm wondering though is like, and I think this in a larger sense is, you know, obviously I think these white nationalist groups have been around, right? They've been around forever. Um, but it hasn't been something that's been paid much attention to by the media and by people at large and I, but what they did say during this documentary was that it was the largest group or gathering of these people in like 20 years. So it seems like there's a, there's a pressure maybe that is, that is building in this movement, maybe due to economics, you know, social upheaval, whatever the situation is. Yeah, I find it interesting. It's really hard that it's so hard to know what's going on Uh, as you, surf your social media pages or, or read whatever uh, internet news site you, you're accustomed to. Uh, there's so many competing theories and allegations and ideas that uh, I find it difficult and frustrating and almost disheartening 
in the sense uh, of following it because <clears throat> there's such a variety there. Um, the one thing I feel like we can be sure of is the media, um, although we were saying they haven't really uh, followed it so much in the past, um, where it, Scott said it was in the corners kind of a society, but now the media is shoving it in our face for everyone to think that everyone's pitted against everyone. And it's really creating kind of a frenzy that keeps self-perpetuating. Something that's kind of freaking me out about it. Right. It's, it's kind of like the, you know, violence begets violence. And I think that's a good way to segue into what I think the real interesting point to unpack is kind of the idea of free speech and, you know, what are, what are the limits of free speech when applied to, you know, this is a group that is chanting, you know, blood and soil, which is kind of a, I think it's an old school kind of a slogan for either, I don't know if it's like a racist or fascist kind of kind of thing. And, you know, they're saying like, the Jews will not replace us. That's these guys are chanting that the Jews will not replace us. The Jews will not replace us. Like what the, what fucking Jews are trying to replace you? Like, where does this come from? You know what I mean? It, it, Sorry, but it, for me, it's another uh, interesting phenomenon. Uh, social media. Anyone with uh, an internet connection in a computer or a phone uh, has the power to broadcast their dumbassness, their ignorant, intolerant foolishness. And, and uh, I guess empowering so many people, you can see that there's a huge downside to it uh, because you know, with all this ignorance and maybe like economic frustration that you made reference to, uh, people are... You know, like they have this fire to their voice and then you give the platform or whatever social media and the power to organize, what have you, then you see this eruption going on. Yeah, so you can have dumbasses like me spouting my propaganda. <laughs> oh, I got some too. <laughs> All across the globe. Um. <laughs> I, think, I think negativity too gets a lot of attention. So, you know, people, you know, they put a few little things out there in the world, a few little feelers. And if they get a big reaction off of something negative, well, then that's going to perpetuate them to kind of focus on that, you know, because at some point we all want some attention. We want some validation. It's kind of in our human nature. And so if you go out there and you want to be a champion for like, you know, pink unicorns, well, you might get like a few people listening, right? But if you want to go be a champion for like some racist, bigoted, terrible movement, well, you're going to catch the eyes and ears of a lot of people. And that's going to kind of perpetuate that, uh, that perspective or that voice or that whatever. And so... We, we're kind of, it's kind of just like the news. You know, why do you hear more negative news than positive news? Why? Because we're more attracted to negative news. It's, our, in, our, it's in our biology to, to listen to something negative because that might have a, a, a life-threatening effect. So we're going to you know, perk up when we hear something negative. So we're really predispositioned to focus on negative. And I think that's, that's part of what kind of perpetuates these people that are speaking uh, their, their negative rants and their racist, bigoted bullshit. You know, they, they're... Mm, reinforced right. by attention yeah yeah negativity is like connected to self-importance you know what i mean if it's like your shit's extra important if you can go out and decry it to everyone and tell everyone how fucked up it is versus like hey my shit's perfect dude well no one really is interested right sky i think you said something interesting that i want to circle back around to because you were talking about how social media um, influences this and i think that's an important point because <clears throat> let's go back in time and let's say you are a white nationalist in like 1980, right? So you might be able to organize in your own community, you know what I mean? Um, you can be out there on the town square handing out pamphlets or whatever, but now with social media, you can communicate with people across the country, mm. other disparate groups, so it 
kind of brings along. It's not like you're this one fringe lunatic if you can kind of look and validate your own beliefs in the sense of like, oh, there's somebody over here that believes the same way I do, or there's someone, you know, in across the country, you know what I mean? It's kind of like these disparate groups can come together and organize and kind of feel like they're part of a larger movement, even though, you know, maybe in the sense of the entire country, there may be a minority with that opinion. Yeah. Um, uh, the, so the social media thing, it's really strange comparing the past to now and how uh, people's self-empowerment is, is so much more fulfilled. Uh, it's almost, you know, if you were going to describe Western culture in one word, you might say individualism or even egoism. Some might say narcissism. And uh, this, this social media platform that everyone has access to, multiple ones in fact, you know, with, with ever-increasingly sophisticated media in them, that, uh, you know, people are so empowered and their, and their ego is able to run wild. And so, you know, I can shout from, from the top of my Facebook mountain, you know, all my ridiculous thoughts. And in fact, the, the retardation of my ridiculousness will perpetuate itself because I think people are observing or listening. So well, it's also the Facebook algorithm or the social media algorithm that like, it's going to show you what you want to see. You know, it's going to tell you your beliefs are right. It's going to fan the flames of whatever the hell it is you believe and tell you you're right and reinforce you, you know, that you're right because why? You're going to click more. And that's what they want. You're going to, you know, so like you put out a, a, a little bit of, uh, you know, you say, hey, I'm excited about pink unicorns again. Well, all of a sudden you're going to get a lot of pink uniform, unicorn stuff on your page. And before you know it, you're like this pink unicorn champion. You think that's the greatest thing ever. But that might really have no bearing on really what's going on, but it's it's the algorithm that's feeding you the stuff that you want to see. So you don't really have any any true third party filter for that information. You know, you're kind of you're yeah. you're getting only what you want to see. Right. That the, there's no gatekeepers like there used to be, and but at the same time, it's kind of like you know gatekeepers. That's kind of the whole been the whole backlash is towards the gatekeepers in terms of places like the New York Times or the Washington Post and those sorts of outlets right like that's been the decries like the fake news the fake news when you get into it it's so complicated i was just thinking about the example of uh the flat earthers which blows my mind oh my god the and, flat earthers and you, you have you have in in the two in the two main english-speaking countries the uk and the u.s you have in those two countries pretty much exclusively sizable populations and growing that believe in this shit and they have scientific research to describe it He's not kidding. There really are people out there that believe the Earth is flat in 2017, and they live right over there. Yeah, there's like 100,000 in this country alone that, you know, according to the website I saw. But it's the scientific explanation that they have, and, and it, it goes back to the idea that you're talking about, Scott, that uh, the more you talk about something, the more the echo chamber, like, solidifies you in this, and it becomes part of your identity. And so talking about the freedom of speech that we were, it's almost like that. It's like, should we police people's beliefs when it goes off to some, off the rails of some silly shit like the earth is flat? Well, we can't say that we agree we should limit their thinking because that's pretty dystopian. But at the same time, yeah, people shouldn't be thinking the fucking world's flat because it isn't. Right. Man, you know what's crazy is I remember, <laughs> I remember stumbling onto flat earth shit like way back, like 1996, 97, oh. like way back then. <laughs> But I think that it's gotten even more popular over the years. Yeah. Um, I actually had a I had a climate scientist on 
a couple of months ago. And so one of their big things is like there's an ice wall in Antarctica that we, I guess we can't supposedly fly planes over or whatever. She was telling me that like the whole basis of that was maybe like, or, you know, we're kind of speculating, but something about the way that the satellite orbits cross the uh, South Pole, like there's no way for that. Like there's kind of a gap where they can't kind of go just because of the, I guess the geometry of their orbits. Anyways, <laughs> that was kind of a segue, but um, I think what's interesting about free speech and like you were saying, Sky, is that, you know, how do we balance the, you know, it, how do I reason or rationally argue with someone that believes in the flat earth theory? Uh, I think that's a great man, metaphor. You can't, like, you have to agree that certain things are what they are so that you can have your conversation based on those real facts, right? So, like, if we're going to talk about cars, we have to agree that the thing we're looking at has... has Two, is a car. Is a car, and if, if it's got two wheels and it's really a motorcycle, well, then we're just we're we're kind of fucked from the beginning, right? You know, we have to have some basic uh, things that you agree on to to stem the entire conversation. So, if someone says the Earth is flat, I can't talk to you, brother. Your brain doesn't work right. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, but I tell you, to be honest, though, like we were talking yesterday, and I saw this site called uh, Weather War One Hundred and One. Have you seen that? I have oh not. God. Is this chemtrails? Well, it's it's they mention that, Same but name. it's talking about the weaponization of the hurricane, and it doesn't say that they created the hurricane Harvey, but uh, they're talking about how they're able to feed moisture into it and steer it directionally to some degree. And wow, that sounds ridiculous. And I'm comparing myself to a flat earther when I'm <laughs> reading that. But at the same time, I'm not gonna like 100% say it's not possible because I don't put anything past the government or the corporations or whatever to fuck people and for their own capitalist purposes. And we could see all the damage and insurance coming out of um, Harvey and Houston at this point, right? And so somebody's profiting, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I definitely share that same skeptical. I mean, obviously, I guarantee that the Department of Defense, the Pentagon, have spent money researching using weather as a as a weapon. Absolutely, no doubt about it. So we can definitely we can all kind of agree there. But to like what extent right. is that being? actually applied in reality i don't know that then it gets a little bit more difficult to determine well what we're allowed to know as the general public and we talked about yesterday what we're allowed to know as the general public is 10 15 20 years late from when they actually have that technology yeah, at least right you know so like by the time that we as the general public know or have confirmed knowledge of some certain technology that thing's been around there for a long time so like if they are directing storms we're not going to know about it until, like, uh, you know, we see uh, the Netflix in 2030 <laughs> about, uh, you know, storm chasers and be storm creators. Or there's some, or there's some like, regiment in the next world war or something that does that. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think going back to things like social media and, I guess, the electronic media is that that's going to actually – I do think that it does contribute to it's difficult to retain information. You know what I mean? It's so hard – to keep information quiet because, I mean, you have groups like Anonymous or, uh, trying to think, like WikiLeaks, right? So people on the inside are going to fucking leak out any kind of crazy shit that, that goes on. There's, you know, they're not always going to be leaking out everything, but there are those outlets now, right? So I think it's harder. It's how the fuck are you going to keep something quiet in 2017 versus like 1920, you know what I mean? And there's a way bigger, easy, it's way easier to fool a lot of people in 1920 when you only have really print and radio versus now, like yeah. the electronic media, boom. 
I, I think I think keeping it quiet uh, is like they can't do that strategy anymore. So what they do, in my mind, when I look at social media and all the, the, the huge divergence of nonsense on there, like flat earthers, <laughs> is that you just... Uh, I have a vision of like a fucking warehouse with hundreds or more people sitting there and just creating stories to diffuse on social media. All of them completely bullshit, but all with like the certain... Uh, structure that's in an equation known to net a certain percentage of people that will believe it. And so there's just this huge wall, they call it white noise, whatever, but just mass obfuscation of anything that was my first point, that no one can really be sure of anything. Anything you assert, I can find something that contradicts it. Right. And, and this is sound science. Well, so is mine. I mean, where do you go? Definitely. And I certainly don't think it's above the CIA or a group like that to create disinformation campaigns right because it's like and i think even even without that i think you kind of tap into the thread of with the current media landscape there are so many messages there's so much information out there that it kind of is <laughs> like we're overloaded we even without the potential for the nefarious acts by you know people trying to fuck with us with with that kind of campaign right mm -hmm. just the fact that all right the amount of data that's been created in the last 20 years probably way outsizes what had been produced from the entire inception of humanity since we like created written language or, or what have you totally you know what i mean totally. so it's like you're trying to the media is a fire hydrant that you're trying to drink out of sort of you know mm -hmm. that's kind of the image that i think kind of drives that point home of and that's like i said that's just straight up without any kind of bizarre backroom kind of plots or you know yeah. russian bots on twitter or what have you right corporate bots doing it i i uh i agree i drinking out of the fire hose is a nice analogy i um like drinking out of the fire hose in the dark right you know with a bunch of people bugging you uh, you know it's I, maybe here's an idea. It's like growing pain, right? Our brains simply are not accustomed to handling so much information flow. And like we're at this, maybe, maybe we're at this like uh, uh, part of history where, you know, we need like in another generation, we'll have like bio augmentation to our brain where we can accommodate more information or something or higher speed or I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's really causing a problem going back to it because all the obfuscation is related to all the nonsense theories that have a certain level of followers that you have to contend with, right? Because we're taught that you have to respect everyone's opinion. And the opposite of not respecting it is, fuck you, you're dumb, <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, or calling that. someone an epithet, you know, that can... And that's, I think, um, in terms of, like, you know, calling someone a racist, that's kind of, like, part of the thing is I can shut you down because I label you as a racist, on right. the reverse, I'm like at every turn, then. it's like on the reverse. You know, you're a social justice warrior, or you're whatever. You're your X category, right? And that can certain categories of being can discredit your entire point right off. But maybe it's not that clear in terms of, you know, what I mean, because people will like grab onto certain elements of an idea, but there's a lot of other shit that <laughs> that gets mixed in there. Well, that's right. kind of what we were talking about earlier. That there's so much information that we now have our own information feed of what we want to hear. You know, because there's so much out there, we have to have a filter. So what's the filter? We don't filter good and bad. We filter favorable, unfavorable. Preferences. Yeah, yeah preferences versus, versus uh, you know, not. So that's... 
don't know how to tackle that problem. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 again, it goes back to this idea of free speech. So should a guy who believes in flat earth not be, labeled, not be allowed to, to spin those narratives, to spread that story? But, so we wouldn't agree to that, but at the same time, the fact that he's got 100,000 or however many people that like seriously believe it, is also a detriment to society. I don't, I don't know. Well, where it's it kind of like. Well, so I think like the, the the powers that be, you know, maybe the government or whatnot. Um, I think they've got a different approach. So right now, it's maybe not as much like censorship. It's not as much as like you can't say that, but as much as like nobody's anonymous anymore. So that's fine. Say whatever you want to say, but you don't get to say it under the guise of a pen name. You know, you have to own it. You know, so so there there's so I guess this maybe came out of that uh, the Netflix thing we watched last night about uh, about the cryptocurrencies. They said when when uh, when uh, anonymity becomes criminal, only criminals will have anonymity. Mm. So that was kind of their whole basis was that like you know when you can no longer kind of be anonymous, you know when everybody knows everything and everything you say is written down in stone forever, you really have no anonymity. Uh, well, then the only way to, to really to, to become anonymous is to be a criminal. I don't know, that, I'm kind of repackaging that, mm. that phrase, but it's, kind of an, it's, it's, it's a different approach. It's not saying don't say anything. It's, it's say whatever you want, but we're going to make you accountable to it. Yeah, I mean, but these people say pr freely and proudly that the earth is flat just to keep using that example. You know what I mean? Like, would, you, would any of us, you know, you, if you really believe that, I feel like you'd be embarrassed and self-conscious as fuck that everybody would ridicule, point, and laugh at you, you know, if you said that in public, you know? In fact, you probably only want to hang out with other people that believe that, which well, yeah. you know, goes back to the dynamic again. But I'd, I'd rather know that someone believes that the Earth is flat so I know to not hang out oh, with them. Oh, shit. <laughs> Wear a badge so we can identify your dumbass, right? <laughs> but that's my whole point about the anonymity, is that, like, uh, you know, that's, that's the counter-approach is to... Everybody's accountable for what they say. So now, if you are a flat earther, I know you're a flat earther. I'm going to stay away from your flat ass. <laughs> right. Flat <laughs> ass. Nice. Uh, <laughs> well, you know the correlation between beauty and intelligence, right? <laughs> um, but I think that's interesting because if you take that idea of flat earth and then apply, like, when, once you apply that to something like white nationalism, then I think it really drives home, you know what I mean? How the fuck are you going to rationally oh let's let's have a fucking debate if i'm debating like that's kind of the left-wing approach to this has been you know we've not we're not even going to give you a fucking platform to stand up and talk about your flat earth bullshit because it's unpro like if i'm just the fact of me debating you about flat earth legitimizes, legitimizes your you. flat earth idea right and that's kind of that's kind of this whole tactic of the no platform and i don't know how familiar you guys are with some of the things that have been going on at uh, UC Berkeley, so like Milo Yiannopoulos tried to go there and speak, and Ann Coulter, and there was like a huge fucking violence and oh, they, to, they, they, to, they to disallow them. Right? They, it's called no platforming. It's like we're not even going to fucking allow you to speak. We will protest that to the point where huh. the university could not guarantee these people's safety, so they like call off the whole fucking okay, thing. So I, so, so I guess that that's I, I, if the issue is about safety, we can't guarantee your safety, so it's not safe for you to speak. Okay, I understand that. But we can say that anytime. But if it's a, we don't agree with what you're saying, so we're going to give you this kind of no-platform attitude, I think that reflects poorly on the institution. I mean, that makes the university look really bad. Shit, give Ann Coulter a 100-foot rope, and I mean, she will hang herself with her own words. Give her some sandwiches, too. <laughs> <laughs> but what? Uh, that's the thing, though, is like, if you don't, that's the thing. It's like, all right, what is the liberal democracy's 
you know, what, free speech is one of the legs that it stands on, right? Because well, that's the, what I mean. It it doesn't. It makes the institution look bad if they don't allow that freedom of speech. Yeah, it it, it almost makes me think like the flat earther idea. Going back to the idea of a of a, of a you know massive office building full of thousands of people creating bullshit stories for people to follow or waste their time reading. It's like because you have. Um, it gives you an example, right? So the rest of us can agree that those hundred thousand believers of flat earthers are in, you know, they, something's wrong with them, and so it legitimizes uh, disallowing them to even talk. Or we don't want to legitimize that, and so we can we can put other things in that category too, like uh, someone with uh, a problem against, you know, some corporate governance, uh, and then as you were talking about labeling, categorizing, you know, well, like if one guy has I, it's happened to me on Facebook. Like you try to give a reasonable idea about something uh, Trump said, and then I have a social justice warrior absolutely call me out, say, "Oh, here's this fascist guy guilt." I'm like, I'm fucking radical. I'm just evaluating things, right? But you're so quick to judge and jump to the conclusion, and flat earthers give a perfect example, right? Well, I wouldn't consider anything a flat earther has to say because he's a flat earther, right? And so it's the same. We're like, well, this guy considers something Trump has to say. He must be a fascist. Fuck him. We don't even have to listen to him now. It's that much easier. And we can shut you down. We will violently, <laughs> we will protest if you want to come and speak. And I mean... Well justified. Because I've categorized you as That's fascist, cool. right? Polarize the masses against you. Right. But at the same time, like we've said, it's like, how do, the fuck am I... You know, I mean, I think that there are regressive elements on, on the left that are kind of misguided with some of this, but it's, you know, it's really difficult, I think, to, it's kind of a catch-22, and, you know, if I, like we've said, if I give you that platform to come spout your white nationalist ideology, you know what I mean? How is that? There's, I'm not going to be able to rationally sit there and debate you and win an argument, because your side is going to, it's like a fucking football game, your white nationalist cheerleaders are going to be like, oh, yeah, like, yes, you fucking destroyed that guy in that debate. Mm. I've seen it happen among, um, so I listen to a lot of podcasts, and, like, Sam Harris is kind of a famous podcaster. He had on Scott Adams, who is, like, he's the D Dilbert creator. It's like a fucking lunatic. <laughs> anyway, so it was really funny because they had, he had him on, Sam Harris had him on his podcast, and all the fucking Scott Adams fans were like, oh, man, you totally destroyed Sam Harris. But it's like, eh, I can, you know, I listen to it, and it's like the Sam Harris crowd has a t the totally opposite opinion. They're like, yeah. you know what I mean? So, and, 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 and the words to describe how it went down will continue to ratchet up, you know? And it's the same thing with the clickbait, you know? Like, everything's hyperbole. Everything's overstated all the time. Everything's high stakes, right? Like, the, you can't lose respectfully or, or, or with honor, you know, in an argument. You, it's all in. You know, like, so, so Republican versus Democrat, for example. I mean, they're just demonized to the end. George Bush was a Nazi. Then Obama was a Nazi. Now Trump's a Nazi. Everybody was a fucking Nazi right, lately. Just because the other guys have to, like, say everything they can to the hyperbolic extreme to discount you, to, to categorize you. Well, if you're a Nazi, I don't have to consider anything else you say. At least my people on my side won't. You know, I close them off from serious consideration because we've categorized you as such, Nazi, whatever it is. Right. Which I think is also, I mean, that is also dangerous. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Because, okay, let's say the climate is different and 
I want to come. I'm going to come speak about um, single payer healthcare. And what if the fucking right wing national white nationalists come out and they're like starting violence and they won't let me speak about um, single payer healthcare? You know what I'm saying? There's also the reverse, but it's kind of the, the the tactics are there in rhetoric and social media and violence and our egoism to prevent anything from seriously being considered. I mean, Bernie was like, uh, you know, whether he was controlled opposition, genuine or not, but like uh, millions of people, just like older people who would have listened to his policy proposals when they when the media gave him the title socialist, you know, which harkens back to like Cold War fear mongering. Right. Uh, he was just dismissed outright. Nothing he had to say had any relevance because he's labeled a socialist. And I mean, how easy was that for them to do that? Yeah. Really easy. That's what I think is kind of funny because I've heard a lot of people on the left kind of complain that, you know, Ber- Bernie would have won. I don't think so, man. I don't think it would have been a... Well, I think sl- the Bernie Trump ticket probably would have been... It, it was the, 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 two, the two outliers. You know, they're like the two non-government guys. Uh, you know... I mean, I guess Bernie is kind of a socialist in his big government, but in the sense that they were both, uh, you know, they're not not from the system. Right. They're outsiders of the political system. But I mean, the political system, like the, that's kind of the thing is like this liberal central or centrist position has been a failure, it seems. Um, And I think a lot of it is because of the lack of diversity we have in political opinion in this country to begin with. So... That's a fascinating concept, too, man. I think that we have... So the Overton window, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. It's basically like the acceptable amount or like the acceptable range of ideas that are allowed to be a reasonable, considered a reasonable discourse. Right. So when you compare a place like the U.S. to Western Europe, the Overton window, in my opinion at least, the Overton window in the U.S. is so fucking tight it's like we have we have right and left elements of capital, so the the Democrats are the left wing of capital, and the um, Republicans are the right wing of capital. But it's still fucking capital. It's still that l- still narrow as fuck. Yeah, and, and you wonder, oh, how did that happen? I remember uh, in university history reading that I think in the '30s you had over a million people vote for the Communist Party of America back then, right? So you have less people. 80, 90 years later, you know, after like seeing all the ravages of capitalism and all the people that get fucked, but somehow there's less people in a country with way more people that, that uh, even consider that idea. And yeah, that's, that's interesting. It makes me think of Noam Chomsky's book, Manufacturing Consent, and another one called Production of Reality. And the media, they actually create are, are like the banks, uh, like the banks of a river, they create the banks of our thought. Like it doesn't diverge from that because this is the narratives are set for us. And it's it's hard to like put your finger on it from the inside perspective, even you're thinking outside. But uh, it, it's the only way I can explain what you're talking about. How is the divergence so small here? Right. I I think a lot of it. A lot of people have argued that it is the way that our electoral system is set up to begin with. Because I, I forget the names, but there's like a post hoc. You know what I mean? That all that there's all those kinds of shit. So it's like because it's the winner take all type of system that re- there that removes a lot of the. You know what I mean? Because it's kind of like you have to compromise to get these two candidates from different parties, right? But there's a in in the public at large, there's a way larger 
diversity of ideas, you know what I mean? It's kind of like a bell curve distribution of political opinion stretched out on a much larger spectrum. But because of the, the okay, so the way that the electoral system is set up structurally, it is only going to capture that sort of bulge, that middle element, right, in terms of what's an acceptable discourse on both sides, whereas in Western Europe you have the parliamentary system, which you have to form a coalition government. So you have the socialists on the left, you have the social democrats who are more of a centrist party, and then you kind of have the uh, conservatism, which in Europe is like fucking, there's almost no conservatism. I from mean, the standpoint of like a U.S. conservatism, you know what I mean? Like that's a totally almost super, super unpopular in Europe. Uh, yeah, and I mean, the, going back, like how how did both parties become hypercenter? Uh, and I mean, my theory is it's all just corporate governance. They they just created a system. I don't think that the founders wanted it to be that that overlapping. I think that over time that the system's been co-opted. So, I mean, for me, it goes, you know, really deep. It, it's all corporatocracy. I don't even believe we live in a democracy. Uh, um, you know, that it's all a sham, basically. The corporate governance is the one that filters us down to two choices that are pretty much the same. Yeah, well, I think most Americans would probably agree on a lot of these kind of middle-of-the-road issues. But the uh, but they're all kind of obfuscated, you know. And so they they seem like they're these really polarizing issues. But if you ask people like a, if you ask people like ten questions, hey, do you think that uh, we should probably have freedom of speech? Most everyone's probably going to agree on that. Do you think that we should, ha you know, you ask these kind of handful of kind of basic questions that are that are uh, polarized? Then uh, I, I think more people are centered than what they realize. You know, more people believe in the center than what they're than what they're told. Uh, yeah, but I mean, you see in a time like this, the last 10 to 20 years, uh, reoccurring financial crisis, uh, homelessness, and, and all these social injustices that we have, how is there no proposals, like radical proposals? How, how is it we're the only industrialized nation to not have health care? And it's not, you know, people will point to this, like, American culture of, of uh, self-reliance, you know, not reliance on the paternalistic government. I think that's bullshit. I think that's just, like, uh, propaganda from the elitist to prevent it from happening because, in fact, half our economy is based on health services. So that's kind of funny. So I was watching, uh, I was watching Shark Tank the other day, and this, uh, this guy came up with this revolutionary nose filter that filters out all sorts of allergens. It's like a little band-aid that goes under your nose or something, but it... Filters out all the allergens, lets you breathe really well, and and he went uh, he went to sell it to Procter and Gamble. They said, man, we're we're really interested, or or uh, we we definitely want to buy this. Um, he said, well, great, you know, what can we do? We want to get this in production. They said, no, 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 we're not gonna we're not gonna buy this for production. We're gonna buy this and shelf it. Why would we prevent a disease for a dollar when we could treat it for ten dollars? Yeah, exactly. I thought, God, that is fucked, man. This guy came up with this great product, and this huge corporate entity wanted to acquire the product for the sole purpose of not using the product. Right. It, uh, it, it's it, you know, and then there was the guy last year. Was his name Martin Scarelli who bought the uh, <laughs> right? Exactly. And so this guy is a shithead for doing it. Everybody hates him, and it's easy to hate him. But Procter and Gamble, a company that produces fucking literally dozens of products we use daily, nearly, you know, they their PR team's not going to let any fallout from that. That's cool. I mean, even though it was on Shark Tank, we all we all agree, more or less. 
what I think is I'm going to get real fucking radical and go back to the founding of the country and say that the whole founding of, I mean, the people that founded this country were elites and they wanted elite rule. That's the whole, like the Senate was originally chosen. It wasn't directly, (laughs) there wasn't direct election of senators until much later on, right? Uh, Not only that, but I mean, you had to be a land owning white Protestant or member of a church to participate and have a vote right so they never had this idea of like we'll let any motherfucker vote but to begin with from the from the jump yeah and the gap in propaganda because most you ask most high school students like what's great about america you know and they're like patriot freedom yeah freedom we have freedom man when when did we have freedom dude like when when exactly did we have full freedom it's like we're, we're we're like conditioned to think we've fallen from utopia into dystopia but it's not true. There never has been. There never has been this golden era that we can look back on and say, oh, let's make America great again. America has been a process. Huh. And freedom has been achieved. Not just, not like we just start, oh, you know, they signed the fucking Declaration of Independence and automatically everyone got this fucking metaphysical freedom that just rained down yeah. from the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for a while, you know, the Bill of Rights actually wasn't applied it was only applied if you dealt with the federal government. So the federal government was limited by the Bill of Rights, but in your state, no, no, they could fucking. It wasn't until much later that you could, <laughs> the um, Bill of Rights applied. Wipe to people my ass were, with your freedom of speech. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah. Like you compare it, it's all on a spectrum. You know, like, you know, some people can go on a tirade about, oh, U.S. is no good, and we got all these problems, and the other end of the spectrum is like, oh, we're the greatest country in the world, rah rah rah. Well, it's all just a spectrum. It's all relative, you know? So you compare us to, like, a developing third-world country, goddamn, we're a great country to be in, and we really do have some freedoms, right? But you compare us to, like, you know, like a... Like a... Like a Denmark. Yeah, like a Denmark or some Scandinavian country where everything is, like, uh, there's not a drop of trash on the ground and everyone's health care is paid for and their their happiness factor is through the roof. And Okay, we're maybe not as good as them, but uh, it's all relative, so... I, I grew up with that. Uh, my dad saying that is pretty hardcore conservative. Uh, you know, it's the greatest country in the world. And uh, traveling, when I realized that's definitely not the case, um, it, it's you know that's been a process of understanding for me. But I just want to say, Trump's slogan "Make America Great Again" is it makes me think of. You ever watch one of those really fucking retarded? Uh, Hollywood movies that you feel dumber after watching. Like, just, I, I try to avoid those, but I'm yeah, sure I, Ace Ventura, Ace Ventura, when nature calls, man. We've all had some exposure, right? <laughs> but it, his that slogan is almost the same thing. Like just saying it or thinking about it actually makes you fucking dumber. I, I feel like you know it, it's so it's a nonsense idea. Well, he's almost like a character from a movie. We were talking about last night that like uh, it's almost like uh, it's like a spoof president you know it's almost mm-hmm. like uh but mm-hmm. oh just kidding it's not actually a character we're not actually taking the piss out of something this is real it, it's great too in the idea that we the we get the there's a philosophy that says we get the government we deserve and oh. I, I love applying that i think we absolutely i mean we absolutely we fucking deserve trump you're you're fucking absolutely right yes. we absolutely i mean he is the perfect avatar for america like if for, you just for who we are if yeah. you distilled america what America's about into one person. I mean, who would be more perfect than a tasteless, bloated, loudmouth yeah. fucking huckster? I mean, that that's that's what America is now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if yeah. you personified America, it's not some like, 
artsy, you know, yeah, Christ-like, yeah. Christ-like figure rolling mm-hmm. around in, in flip-flops, you know, h- helping the poor. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's right. this fucking gold-plated dipshit. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. I'd probably say exactly that. Maybe like one or two shades darker skin, you know, just to average out our <laughs> our ethnic complexity here. But yes, yeah, fucking tasteless, fat piece of shit, intolerant, <laughs> inarticulate, unthinking. Uh, Dude, tell us how yeah. you really feel. Man. I don't. I don't know that he's unthinking. I mean, uh, I think it's definitely uncaring. St- I guess. I, I think it's strategic. Obviously, I, I think the "Make America Great" slogan appeals to that sense of America, and I think. The lowest common denominator. But it's also who is, it's like who, all right, so the white majority in America is under, feels like they're under threat. They're under threat by immigration. They're under threat by um, cultural Marxism. (laughs) They're under threat by. Socialism. Exactly. They're under threat by all these things like the economic situation. Those, you know, those manufacturing jobs in Ohio and Michigan and kind of the Rust Belt have been shipped overseas so it's like there's this outlash, there's backlash against the corporate world that has abandoned. These people feel abandoned by the you know the corporate world, right? Yeah, they're, they, they're they're becoming obsolete and they're feeling it because it's like the jobs are being shipped overseas to to brown people, or you know brown people are doing you know <laughs> doing that. We gotta we gotta build that border wall on on the U.S. Like it's fucking hilarious. Have you seen the research? It's like People that are like in fucking Ohio and like all these disparate places are more concerned about this border wall than people that live in Texas. Mm, that makes you feel good of, about how intelligent we all are. Right? <laughs> well, Collective okay. intelligence is good, everyone. Oh, this, this guy's favorite movie is Idiocracy. It is you know? definitely my favorite movie. And I'll and I'll go further and say it is the best movie ever made. Have you seen? Do you know what? It, yeah, I, I've seen most of it. I don't think you know, I've ever sat through. Yeah, oh yeah. I definitely. Yeah, I guess know. basically the premise is that uh, over time the the lower class, the uneducated, uneducated class, is growing and growing and growing. We're kind of like a like a like a pyramid, but we're just so fat at the bottom that uh, you know that nobody can even think straight. And our president is a uh, you know like a wrestler and you know doing keg stands and they're having uh, monster truck shows and and that's uh, that's America because over time you know we're having this huge attrition of of you're having this kind of brain drain. It's like a lot of the top brass and the elites and the really smart people are. Are going other places to do their work and their study, and and or they're choosing to not have kids, and then the lower the lower echelon society are having tons of kids, and and they're uh, and that's just creating this kind of upside down pyramid. Or following the profit motive, which is kind of what we were talking about before we turned the mics on, uh, you know, as a pol- anthropological factor that the point of life is to chase profit. Uh, you know, whether it be in this podcast or in uh, medicines or in writing your drug laws like the whole society is shaped towards maximizing dollar so we see you know that, that's the root of the negativity in social media you know all the social um sorry all the uh criminal justice issues with private prisons uh the politicians like it's all profit-based bullshit right and so and, and that's the idiocracy is is like without scientists for example who uh have like a desire to improve society not just consumerist society uh yeah, we're just gonna like continue making Viagra that lasts even longer, or <laughs> Coke that's even sweeter, or whatever. Right. Without scientists, you water your plants with Gatorade. <laughs> Remember? <laughs> it's Brondo. Yeah. No. It's got electrolytes. Whatever. 
Oh man, I don't. Yeah. I have seen that scene actually, <laughs> so I totally get that joke. It's pretty good. I mean, I'm from a school of like, so I'm like super postmodern. So I'll even question the ability of language to you. Like we're prevented by language. It's our language is just fundamentally in, unable to create this society that we want, and we're always existing within culture no matter what, we can never break out of it, right? So we're in, and that's sort of, it's a larger application of that idea of the Overton window where the discourse is bounded, right? So we're bounded by what we can think, correct? Would you agree? So like, sure. whatever those limits are, looks like I can't think beyond my limits, the limits of language, which are finite. I wonder, yeah, it, it's a fascinating topic. I, I wonder about like the, the difference between thinking and feeling. Uh, which I've had that conversation before. Oh, that's a really that's a hard one to dissect, man. Like, can we feel outside of the parameters of our ability to uh, label things with language? Hmm. I've never even thought about that. It's really weird, yeah. Well, I think I, I think you don't you don't know what you can feel until you feel it. You know, because like you, you think about it, like uh, you know, you um, oh, let's say you you have a little elementary school, you know, a little little girl you're holding her hands and you're five and then she doesn't want to hold your hand anymore you're a little upset but you know whatever no big deal well you fast forward that you say let's say you're uh you know you're you're coming off of a 10-year divorce and you got two kids and you're emotionally bankrupt you're financially bankrupt you've got i mean the amount of feeling that you're feeling there is exponentially greater than maybe what you felt as a kid on the playground so it's maybe in the same vein right you kind of have the separation from a relationship mm -hmm. but you don't know the magnitude of that feeling until you're there Right. And so I think it's kind of hard to quantify what you can and can't feel until you actually feel it. I think what's more... Our parents say, like, oh, you'll never know the the joy of having a kid till you have your own. You know, it's the same kind of thing. I don't think, I don't think you can be aware of the feelings until they're upon you. I think what's sort of more... I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole different discussion, but I think it taps on a, a kernel of that we can kind of unpack that's sort of related to this is how logic is how we make decisions and our process of that like how you know are we purely rational beings or wait no are we do we, how much emotion drives our consciousness and our decision making and do we emotion do we act and then logically uh, try to uh, rationalize why we behave that way or is it vice versa mm. The competing competing feelings in us, are, the rationality we learn as being acculturated as our as our tool against our emotive instincts or something, right? I don't know. Or do we have? I mean, do we have the ability? Like, like I'm saying, so, um, you know, we think, okay, I'm I'm rational, but how the fuck do you know that you're? How do you know that you're <laughs> being rational? Yeah. How do you know that it's just not some sort of emotional state caused by, you know, you've been let you know so whenever you're making a decision right it's going to be independent or it's going to be dependent upon your state of mind at the time right so if you're fucking afraid and angry you might make a different decision a different quote-unquote rational decision versus if you're like you know feeling good you just came back from vacation you're feeling positive whatever like your mental state is going to affect like how you what you conceive as a rational decision right. from the from the even like a more basic level yeah. what do you guys think about that 
Well, you got to have a third party there to help <laughs> you, man. You got to have a counselor tell you uh, if you're crazy. But or I mean, crazy. you can't. That's the thing is, you can't. It's like on a daily basis, you are making decisions. But do you really even do you really even understand what is driving your own decision making process? Like how how accurate is your perception? of your own sense of self and reason well, that, and emotion. I think politics has really tapped into that when you, you know, going back to our earlier, uh, you know, like orientation of our topics there and pe freedom of speech and expression versus not and nonsense, but like, uh, people being empowered with, with, um, wrong information brings up that point. I feel like it's kind of, but it's kind of like too. So, if I can come in and I can say, make America great again, right? That's an emotional appeal. That's going to yeah. appeal to what? like, oh, yes, that's like f taps that notion of like group in in this and acceptance and, and what have you. Or like it harkens back to, oh, this idea of American exceptionalism yeah. that we've had. What is politics supposed to be? Is it supposed to be completely rational? Is it supposed to be emotional? It's neither. I mean, I guess with, the same with politics or individual, all the decision making is a fusion between our emotion and our rationality but you know as we're talking about it, i'm just wondering what is the definition of rationality because like the example you gave that's just a relative thing i made the decision in a good mood i made the decision in a bad mood what does rationality have to do with that in a way you know because the way you described it was a dichotomy of emotions that drove your decision making which is is contrary to what the standard definition at least what i think of rationalism to be well, right. I, think, I think maybe what he's saying is like uh, we'll take an example all right you're in the woods you're about to get chased by a bear Right? If you are scared and you're freaking out, whatever, you're probably going to run. There's no rationality there, right? Right. But you're going to run because you got this fear and you fight or flight or whatever, you're going to run. Now, if you take that same scenario and you say, okay, I've been trained, I know about bears, I'm calm, I see a bear, I know to not move. So that's going to be probably going against every fiber that you're feeling. Like every being in your body is going to scream run, and that's the feeling, right? But probably the rational mind is going to take over if you can calm, if you can kind of invoke that rationality in that time of distress and uh, not run. Make your hands big or do whatever you're supposed to do to kind of, you know, to, to have an appropriate encounter with the bear, which is not run. So I think it, you know, I think what he's saying has, has some worth that depending on your emotional state, depending on what, you know, what you're feeling at the time will have a really direct uh, effect on, on the decision you make and the rationality. That, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that... I think in, any high emotion will affect rationality. The lower the emotion, the more rational. Yeah, any decision's a fusion of, of the two two ideas or two concepts, right? There's no pure rationality, really. I mean, maybe if you're talking mathematics or something, I don't know. But, like, there's, there's no pure emotion, really, although that's arguable. But, yeah, everything's got a fusion of you know, some degree of those two competing ideas. And I think that sort of goes to the limits of democracy and I guess classical liberalism because we're, you know, in the classical liberal model, it's like, oh, well, there's going to be a marketplace of ideas. Only the strongest ideas are going to survive and, and people are going to rationally act within their own interests, right? Like that's kind of what our entire system is built on, but I mean, obviously, the, that system is not adequate to deal with <laughs> the scale of society we have. You know what I mean? The, the diversity of issues that we encounter. It's like we're we have we are going we are pushing the bounds of reason itself, and it's un it's incapable of 
I guess, creating this positive track of history that we all have. But it's almost, I like going back to the Hurricane Harvey thing. It's like uh, they've managed to weaponize our emotions. I mean, they can steer our rationality and, and overblow our emotions to where, you know, you think you're being rational about uh, immigration policy, but in fact it's intolerant and hateful or something. And, and, and economically unsound to, to, you know, to be even more rational about it. I like how this kind of group think uh, takes over, too. We talked about this yesterday. There was no gas shortage in Austin until, until there, there was, was a gas yeah, shortage right? in Austin. Yeah, man. And that's, you know, what's funny is I get that idea. I thought I had that same idea because I've heard, you know, it's to go back to earlier where we were talking about, you know, me labeling you as a fascist will dement, like, that kind of, uh, I guess. Uh, I'll leave now. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that kind of gives you that kind of shuts you down right if i can label you that and a lot of people will say well you know oh well a lot of people have this opinion that hitler and the nazis or whatever fascists were oh they're just tremendously evil like there's something um some kind of a priori evil about them but no these are fucking rational people that used quote unquote logic and reason to guide their actions at least that was you know, if you if you asked Hitler, they harness the emotion of the people and manipulate the emotion, right? Yeah, it's like if you ask him, he's gonna say, you know, I am doing, I am using, you know, I'm trying to make Germany great again, right? <laughs> That's <laughs> following, exactly what he was trying to do. Following yeah. World War One is, you know, he's trying to make bring Germany back to power because they, were, as a culture, were humiliated by the by the winners of the war. Correct. So it's like Hitler wasn't Hitler until he was. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's the fucking danger of anyone, I think, is, you know what I mean? It's like, you're not so-and-so. You're not fucking Jeffrey Dahmer until you are. We are all capable of being a fucked up piece of shit person. But it goes back to, uh, again, we keep cycling back to points we made, the the, um, the echo chamber. I mean, you know, uh, I don't know. Maybe he had this vision to exterminate as many Jews in the very beginning, but maybe it was just... Uh, the more he started talking about it, that Jews this and they're for the blame for this, and uh, that that perpetuated itself just like white power in today's social media context. Well, Scapegoating. Uh, I mean, obviously, I think with immigrants, obviously, that's what the big deal is with this yeah. whole border wall. It's somebody to be mad at, right? It's like someone to blame for your a group of people that are easily identifiable by the very look of them. Well, I guess Jews probably. That's less. And without the ability to have recourse, without as much ability to, to fight back. I mean, you know, you're illegal, you're poor. Yeah, what the fuck are you going to do? You, you can't vote. Yeah, you work a 12-hour back-breaking construction job. Where's your energy after work to fight this? Or in a kitchen, you know, working the same kind of thing. Like, you're fucking cooking. Like, that's who the fuck... Like, I fucking think it's pretty funny, because I'd like to see what would happen if we got rid of all the all the immigrants... <laughs> that oh, are man, here illegally. Economically. Wasn't there a movie about it? <laughs> a Day Without Mexicans or something? I haven't heard of that. I'll have to check it out. I just oh, think no, it would it was, be it was a, fucking it was like hilarious. A, it was, I don't think it was a movie. It was a movement. I think they had national, like... Boycott Day. Yeah, something. like no one came to work or something. Like I wish they would do that. Well, they. I think they did it a few months ago, didn't they? I think there was something like... There was a yeah. women's one as well. But there was one last year at school uh, when... Trump started releasing ICE out into the neighborhoods. Uh, I had a couple of students who actually had family members get detained and deported. Uh, and the school made a huge effort to 
try and not have the students or the parents keep their students home uh, because, you know, we were looking at losing $100,000 for the school that day, which is major. And so uh, you had even the white administrators of my school scrambling, like, don't even stay home from school. We need you here at school. Not because, well, A, I mean, test scores, attendance money, all that stuff. You know? So even on the public services, they're vital. Uh, so yeah, people don't. People don't see that, I guess. They don't consider it. Well, it's a it. basic lack of responsibility. When you're looking for a scapegoat, it's because you don't want to look at the mirror. You know, when you're, uh, it's, it's easy to avoid responsibility and say that it was somebody else's and it's not my fault. And it, and that it's all stemmed in pride, right? And ego, ego yeah. right? And so I think that's the kind of the root of this, you know? So if, if, uh, if as a society, we were to buckle down and say, well, maybe we got a little lazy, we got a little complacent, we got a little fat, got a little undereducated. Oh, we don't want to work as hard. And so now we're in this uh, economic uh, predicament. Now, uh, that would be the maybe more logical approach. But instead, you're like, no, 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 it's those guys. I'm good. It's them. They're stealing my job. You should pay me more than what I'm worth to do less than what I should do. Mm. It's that general attitude. I, I think in historic uh, perspective, you, you, this isn't a unique thing. This has happened in every older uh, or more refined culture ever. Uh, and they, you know, they find a way out of it. Oftentimes, it is starting war. Uh, I remember reading some guy said, "For sure, hundred percent bet in Donald Trump's presidency, given the incompetency that he sees and the way the guy is, the only way he can survive his presidency is to start a war." And it's it's without a doubt. And uh, you know, I'm, I feel like it sounds pretty. And it, the war may not take the shape that we think it is. You know, this country versus that country. It might just be the civil war that he foments on the streets, like in Charlottesville. You know? And it's this ideological war within our own culture. By, and by like legitimizing, saying, you know, there was violence, there was violence on both sides, on many sides, yeah, many right. sides. Yeah. Is he not perpetuating it with that? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. The fucking, that's what I heard, uh, is that, so the white nationalist response to that was kind of like, oh, well, you know, he didn't really Told you call he didn't us condemn out. us. He didn't really call us yeah. out, so... It's like ta- it's kind of tacit approval mm-hmm. to some degree. Well, we t- talked about this a little bit on the last uh, podcast was why the world has had this huge shift back right. So we'd had like a lot of like kind of left progressive movements, a lot of social movement, a lot of a lot of stuff was kind of moving in what I think would be a most people would agree is a positive direction. And then we had this huge snap back to the right with Brexit, Erdogan, and Trump mm-hmm. all at once. Well, it's bigger than that, man. It's well, Le Pen I mean, it's, in it's France. World, it's worldwide. And so I don't understand where that came from or why. I think it's corporate corporatocracy myself. That's my theory on so, it. You know, so you think, you think it's, it's, it's money? It's just the raw well, money is pushing it all back, right? Well, let's go back to this idea of crypto. Uh, go ahead, if you don't mind, just to mention sure. cryptocurrency, right? And that documentary that we watched last night, uh, when these guys were making innovative products and companies what did the what did the power establishment do uh, put them in jail put man. all three of those fuckers in jail right but yeah but there i so i guess what an interesting thing they said in the documentary was that that you always get shot coming through the door that was what they said so these three <laughs> guys broke the door down for this kind of cryptocurrency free it's a free market currency so they broke the door down to that now they all got shot but now we are left with the tools that they had created, and it's going to probably be bigger than uh, than anyone imagined. 
And they're going to co-opt it, I'm sure, I can imagine. I don't see how they can avoid it. Well, I mean, well, it's going to destabilize everything. They have to co-opt it. I mean, because that's what we were talking about last night, Cooper, was that I don't really understand it because it only exists in the context of the, our actual money. I can only get Ethereum or Bitcoin with dollars. And so it only really has meaning to me in the fact that I can trade it back into dollars. So I don't so, so, I, so you're, you're right. So that's I think that's an issue that we have right now, and that's kind of the doorway. So that's where they're trying to to co-opt it is is by saying, okay, well you have to have this exchange to get your money into the uh, into the into the capital requirements. Right, into the about. cryptocurrency market or whatever. Um, but once you're into the cryptocurrency, then you can do whatever you want within the cryptocurrency. So I think what they're saying is that like Bitcoin is probably they said it's it's here forever and it's not going to go anywhere. Um, and because it's self-sustaining, because it's crowdsourced, it's never really going to go anywhere. But it's how you access it is where the new battlefront is going to be. You know, so this cryptocurrency, it already exists. It's already out there. It's already well established. Uh, and that, he said that the nice thing is that you can't get rid of it entirely. So now so you can't co-opt it. You can't really co-opt Bitcoin. You can just try to prevent access to it. What if you, uh, what if you discredit any confidence in it? So it just, I mean, all you do is have some rich New Yorkers who think it's worth anything, but no one in the world gives a shit. And so what is it really worth? Yeah, it's like, it's kind of like what's, what's valuable. I mean, Scott, you're in real estate. You know that the value of something is what a buyer is willing to pay for that. And sure. I think that kind of goes to what you were talking yeah. about, Sky. Well, they've got enough big Silicon Valley guys. They've got enough big money guys invested now. I don't think that they'll let it go anywhere. I think that they have enough means and resources to keep that that kind of public stable thought well, intact. I, I, I agree. And, and as I was watching it last night, that, that documentary was so well edited and produced. And, and uh, I think it's not about stamping it out. I think it's about co-opting it. And that goes back to the uh, everything we're talking about here. It's like the hurricane. They, they didn't create the hurricane. They co-opted it for some, pro some, some use that made value for some people. And, and, and social media clickbait is profit motive again. Uh, it's, it's media profit. And, and politics of divisiveness and isolate, alienate, and control, uh, harness our emotions. Again, it, you know, it just creates a world where we're more easily controlled and more value is extracted more readily. And that's, that's the anthropological set we live in. Everything's profit motive. So what do we do with all this information? Have more schizoid podcasts? They fuck the world or what? <laughs> exactly. Just realized how totally fucked we are, man. That's really, that's my ultimate. That, that's, that's my takeaway. That's I'm my gonna ultimate. Go dig a hole and jump in it. I'm gonna give my girl a strap on so she can literally fuck me tonight. <laughs> um, you can't top that, man. <laughs> so to me, I think cryptocurrencies combined with. Um, things like social media are going to be a huge it's going to be a destabilizing force even more so than the media um in the sense of all right if i want to fund my uh covert revolutionary vanguard party i can do so via cryptocurrency and you can't you can't fuck with me stop it what are you going to do i'm going to funnel my all my resources there and use that and also you know what i mean because it's like the same thing any tools that are available can be used by both sides. The people that are on the, you know, the criminals, quote unquote, or the people that are on the margins are always going to be a step ahead of the government mm -hmm. and these huge institutions. And I think that's what we are seeing 
from an anthropological sense is these, so the media landscape with this, you know, siloing of information and creating niche culture. Okay, there is no, like, mass culture is failing. Mass governments and institutions are all crumbling, and I think we're feeling that the uh, the first shock waves of that, and I think Trump's election, like I was talking to Scott about last night, it's like, this is a canary in the coal mine moment. Like, we have already, like, the conditions that have arisen are already a leading indicator of what's what's to come, right? So this, and again, this, these shocks in places like, Charlottesville, you know what I mean? That's just, we're just kind of inching further and further into the way that society, the whole paradigm of society is going to collapse as it stands right now. It just cannot sustain itself. There's too much divergence. Well, I think the real, you're right. I think you're exactly right. So it's this, this kind of huge idea of crowdsourced, right? Where it's kind of the, where, where it's truly decentralized and that's got some Facebook and some of this, uh, the, the cryptocurrencies and the, we're kind of moving that direction as a independent I think, media, right? independent media, as I think as a reaction to the consolidated government and the mainstream and the whatever. And so that's really the only weapon that the people have against the man, quote unquote, right? It would be that they can they, they've got these kind of forums for decentralized organization. Right. Whereas you before you didn't have you didn't have that. It, it mirrors our own struggle. We're talking about of uh, rationality versus emotion. It's like uh, I don't maybe the conservativist movement is more based in rationality. Don't get mad at me. I just, <laughs> you know, but it's in, in theory or it's like slower, think it out more, move more cautiously versus like emotion. Let's progress ahead. Let's empower people. Let's, let's change do this. Shit. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Like you have that dynamic playing out on so many different levels right from the individual to the whole to the whole world i guess i use this i'm pretty proud of this metaphor i had that i used last night when i was talking to scott about okay let's imagine that the u.s government is a person and i'm a person so the u.s government when it wants to turn around what does it have to do uh, we have to vote or are we first are we going to turn around Okay, then we have to figure that that goes to yeah, committee. committee. That, yeah, that committee. goes to a committee, and they vote on that. And then it's okay. Well, which direction are we going to turn? Are, are we going to turn right? Are we going to turn left? And then we've got to have a debate about the merits of each of those. Whereas I'm fucking standing there. I'm just going to turn around, and you're like, while you're still deciding what to do, I've already moved on to the next decision. So you're never going to be able to defeat me or catch up to me. Kind of like, and, and that's what you know, going back to Vietnam or even further, it's like all these asymmetrical forms of warfare have been so difficult yeah. for us to combat because we're this giant hierarchical system. Juggernaut. So we can't, we just simply, it's it's kind of like also, I mean, the, another metaphor would be, I don't know how much football you guys watch, but it's kind of like the hurry up, no huddle offense is sort of, it's like the offense knows where they're going to be going, right? So it's like, if I'm going to throw you the ball, you know where you're going. You have a built-in advantage against the defense because the defense is always having to react against you. And it's that same principle of mm. we have to figure out how to react against your asymmetrical kind of, you know what I mean? You're always on those margins. And I can do things faster and quicker and more efficiently than you can. Yeah, just getting this idea, I love the, the sports metaphor, um, but I was thinking that you know, like Trump and cryptocurrency, maybe they are part of a, a, a larger movement. And, you know, this is just conjecture, but it's, uh, you always, 
heard probably since we were teenagers, you know, the threat or the alarm of one world government, one world government. What is Trump but eroding confidence in the idea of America, not just domestically, but internationally, right? Which could spill over to the ideas of your own government if you're another one. And then you have also the rise of cryptocurrency, which is a medium for a world currency, obviously. Uh, yeah, so a currency without borders. Yeah. But I mean, is the U.S., I mean, U.S. dollars are essentially that. Well, yeah, to some degree. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I can't talk about it as an expert, but I just, when you see what these two things kind of represent from the way we're talking about it or the way we tend to see the world, they, they kind of go together. One is sacking the, the conventional tradition of nation state, and one is uh, moving beyond the convention of national currency. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see if. You know, I'm not saying that that's exactly what it is. I just, right. it occurs to me maybe that's what it is. I mean, the crypto thing, the cr- whole movement, I think a lot of libertarians love the idea of that because it's a more free market approach to currency because, you know, the fucking Fed can't come in and drop interest rates and make your money worthless. Mm. You know right. what I mean? Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, because they've only got this fixed amount of dollars and there's there's no... There's no central oversight, so the central bank is kind of great because it's this kind of all power. But it's it's you know with great power comes great responsibility. So in one in one on one hand, the central bank or the government or whatever provides confidence in the money, so it allows it to have worth and value and whatever. But the other hand, because they control that power, they can also uh, they can also take confidence away from the money. You know, so they can or print more money. They've got too much control, so. They provide they provide a really stabilizing function, but at the same time, uh, it's stable as long as they say it's stable. Right. You know, whereas uh, whereas a, a a a fundamentally free market currency uh, doesn't have any overarching hand that's gonna that's gonna you know raise or lower the value. But groupthink will, and so groupthink is the other thing to kind of take over, right? So if the idea starts to spread that hey, the currency is no good, yeah, like runs on banks. Yeah, I mean, we didn't have a res- we didn't have a run on banks until there was a run on banks. Right, right. It's just like there's no there's plenty of gas in Austin until there wasn't. Well, there's plenty of value in Bitcoin until there's not. You know, and so it's kind of whoever controls that groupthink or whoever's the the leading uh, voice in that groupthink is really going to be the one that harnesses the power that takes it away from the centralized bank. I think even a I got another metaphor for or like example. Um, so let's say your house in on the coast was valuable until it <laughs> until it wasn't. Right? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> that property in Houston I was thinking about not so much. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna cancel my contract on that new Houston condo. You, you know, what was kind of interesting too about the whole situation is um, that's another kind of microcosm. Are we uh, are we coming up five more minutes? Okay. All right, uh, I'll wrap up on this thought then is, so the lack of, what is it, zoning laws in Houston? Supposedly, contrib- the argument has been made that that contributed a lot to the sort of the flooding because, you know, you don't have zoning restrictions, so there's a lot of concrete or whatever that may have been able to... Run away right, there still, yeah. still may have been a flood, but it may not have, it may have been mitigated to some degree if there was more wasn't gr- a concrete jungle exactly yeah makes a lot of sense mm. but at the same time like i've heard the reverse argument in a place like austin is the zoning le- regulations are what's preventing new housing inventory from be- from being created which is 
totally fucking up the supply and demand ratio here and causing prices to continue to go up and up. Uh, it's just always a battle between two different sides, you know. Some sides want development and growth, and other sides want to, you know, they want to keep it the same. Oh, right. I want to get high. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts before we wrap up today? I have one. Uh, what do you got? I wanted to... It's not really a final thought. It's just a reference I wanted to make for anyone listening. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's a really interesting article. It was about politics, and it was relating to the cryptocurrency blockchain concept and that our, our, the evolution of our politics has to be uh, us giving up our own decision, our individual decision power, to someone who you know knows better than you. So they, make, they describe this blockchain idea where whenever there's an issue to talk about, you can defer your vote to whoever you know, whether it be a representative or whether it be a neighborhood expert, and that person can pass them on as well. Uh, and so, you know, all the things we're talking about, it really seems like uh, with the currency, because it's that blockchain technology. Uh, I want to read more about it. I would encourage other people to as well. Yeah, I'm, I've been looking for someone to come on and talk crypto. I haven't had any success yet. But what I think is interesting, what you just got my mind the rabbit hole you just got my mind down is like let's use blockchain technology for voting exactly. period yeah, let's yeah, really yeah, that's what's truly traceable because that's what's been i think you know look think about the u.s is like the barriers to voting are so fucking difficult like other countries have they make vote like in australia it's a fucking holiday it's on like a saturday so you can go fucking vote instead of like you know oh it's you know Tuesday you kind of come after work yeah like what the fuck mm -hmm. and that's something that you never hear anybody fucking say whether it be republican or democrat or let you know that seems like something that we can all fucking agree on let's be a real democracy and let fucking well, people vote he, it, but that's no what he was saying is that way earlier that we don't actually have control it's just the guys i mean know, we're it's just the yeah. we're a republic so a representative democracy so versus direct but let's fucking make this shit more direct <laughs> is my is my th mm. my thing yeah i think you'd be uh, you're, we're working against the man there dude that's the iron fist that well, and the, and the very last like comeback around with the charlottesville idea is is i think it's a benjamin franklin quote he said the tree of democracy has to be watered with blood and i don't want to see anyone get hurt but like if people are fighting in the street for something that they believe in whether it be a horribly uh tragic misinformed campaign or whatever like yeah you're gonna have to fight in the street i feel like at the, in this day and the age whether it's whether it's bloody or, or however it plays out like conflict will have to happen yeah i mean i in my opinion the material conditions of society and the world are going to drive whatever happens right so as soon as it gets bad enough in terms of economics or ecological disaster that is the only force that is going to cause change. Like, I just think, I mean, I hate to say this is very nihilistic vision, but there is, <laughs> there is the hope of revolution of any kind successfully is, is kind of a pipe dream. I think at this yeah, point, yeah. I just, yeah, I just want to get high. <laughs> <laughs> you have my permission. <laughs> Thanks. I, I don't do that. <laughs> Uh, you know, whatever you guys want to do as consenting adults is uh... <laughs> only if it's legal. All right. But uh, I appreciate you guys getting schizoid. I think we we fucking definitely did today, which is the whole point. So All over I love it. on this one, man. Yeah. Well, I, <clears throat> I appreciate the opportunity to listen to my own voice. <laughs> Anytime, guys. Thanks again. Thank you. All right.